Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. On today's show, we've got quite a bit to get to, and we'll start by talking about some news, some really interesting news at the front end. And then in the back half of the show, we'll get into our 2021 football awards. Uh, of course, the college football season wrapped up this past week, but we had some other stuff to run last week, so we wanted to make sure we got to this. Um, pretty close to the end of the season because it was a fun season. And you got to go back and kind of revisit some of these awards because there's been a lot of a lot of good players, a lot of good moments from this season. It was an up and down year for Wisconsin, but um, still some recognition is nice. And we always like to kind of put a bow on the season by going through and doing this award show. So we'll do our usual MVPs, you know, games of the year, um, everything like that to kind of you know put an, an end to what was a fun up and down 2021 season. And then we'll start to kind of talk about uh, now going forward into next year and into spring ball as we get closer and closer to what will be the 2022 season. Matt, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. It was uh, it was a letdown that some of those NFL games were all blowouts, but <laughs> at the same time, uh, I, I think the game tonight will be better, and it's exciting to, to hear more news kind of slowly trickle out about both the football team, but then also – um, positive vibes all throughout the basketball program as well. Yeah, things are certainly clicking for Wisconsin basketball, and it, it feels like we haven't really talked much football in the last uh, few episodes, so it'll be nice to get back into this. And before, why don't we go ahead, that'll transition us well into the news. Do you want to give the listeners a rundown of the early enrollees that are on campus? Because I know we've talked about, you know, we talk about National Signing Day, and then after that, like you mentioned before we started recording, kind of gets forgotten of which guy's going to be a part of that group, which guy's not on campus, because it really does make a difference when you know which guys are, are on campus early, because that means, you know, up earlier chances of them possibly getting on the field. So uh, if you want to maybe just give a rundown of everyone that is uh, on campus for this early enrollment period. Yeah, sure. Um, according to UW communication staff, they had uh, six players that were sent to early enroll. Um, and then you also add in that right now, Justin Clark, the transfer from Toledo, um, he was on campus this weekend as well. You, you can see that he had his uh, locker room set up all there, um, which is a strong indication he's going to be there for spring ball, which is good, um, uh, and a veteran cornerback that's going to be with them. But then in terms of the true freshmen who are going to be joining the team um, here for spring ball, already on campus as well, I know Miles Burkett and Aiden Vaughn both uh, showed their lockers, um, but those are two, Miles Burkett, quarterback out of Franklin, um, uh, Aiden Vaughn, linebacker out of Michigan, but then a pair of cornerbacks as well, Avion Jones, uh, Corey Lide, 
I wouldn't be surprised if one of them also plays maybe a little bit of safety um, to early on this spring to try to see what they've got with those two. Um, then defensive tackle Curtis Neal, he's going to be your future at nose, at least if all things go according to plan, I would think. He will get reps behind um, Keanu Benton and, and hopefully he gets healthy. And then offensive lineman Barrett Nelson, uh, you know, younger brother of Jack Nelson out of Stoughton, he's going to be coming on campus as well. So good group that they're going to have on campus. And I, I think if you're looking at one of those guys to say who could maybe take advantage of this and parlay that into some playing time come fall, it would be Avion Jones. Um, but at the same time, Curtis Neal is another guy, if he gets ahead of schedule here health-wise um, and takes advantage of the spring, maybe come fall, he gets some reps and, you know, takes plays in four games while also preserving his red shirt behind Benton. Yeah, I think all of those guys are really interesting to watch. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Curtis Neal as, as being a potential player. You know, here in the future, he's got a lot of talent and, um, you know, get a year and, and some time to learn behind Keanu Benton. But then you would expect him to, like you mentioned, be the future of your position at nose tackle. So it's exciting to see all these guys. It's always fun to see, you know, Miles Burkett on campus and, and, and getting reps. Of course, he's going to be uh, a couple years away in terms of probably seeing the field, but it's it's still fun when you're following these recruitments now for him being the original member of the original commit of that class to now be on campus and part of this group is, is really exciting to see. Uh, I mean, a ton of talent in these early enrollees, so it's fun to, to really – get a look at um, what, their, what their future is going to be and see them get started now on their next part of their journey. Because, like, we've talked about it before, but we follow these guys really from, you know, their initial offers early in their junior year through their senior year through their commitment, and now when to finally see them on campus is always an exciting time. So seeing them on social media, tweeting out the pictures of, of the lockers and everything like that is, is always a really, uh, I, I think, a really fun moment for fans. Absolutely. All right, our next piece of news is an interesting one in regards to the transfer portal and a big name in that transfer portal in quarterback Caleb Williams, formerly of Oklahoma. There has been some rumblings, so I'll call it rumblings. I know there's been some confirmed reports from 247 that um, Wisconsin has shown interest in Caleb Williams, and there are, rumor, I guess, rumors that Caleb Williams is, in fact, also interested in Wisconsin, which would be a, obviously a huge get in the transfer portal to pick up probably one of the top players overall in that group. It sounds like there's a mutual interest in those places. I know he's also considering uh, the University of Georgia, uh, which fresh off the national championship would certainly be in play there. But I, I, from the sounds of it, you know, Caleb Williams uh, and then his group have a, a very strong respect for Paul Chris and the uh, the system that they run in terms of a pro-style approach. So I don't know how much to make of these, but it's certainly it's kind of one of those situations where where there's smoke, there's fire, and I, I don't think these rumors and things are coming out for absolutely no reason. I don't know why you'd kind of get, you know, someone would get the ball rolling on this if they didn't feel um, there was something there. So certainly interesting. Wisconsin, it, it makes sense to be in play. You have to shoot your shot at a player like that, especially if you hear that he's somewhat interested in your school. So what do you make of, of that whole situation with uh, Caleb Williams possibly being on uh, Wisconsin's radar and vice versa? Yeah, I mean, it kind of started coming out randomly last week, and then it slowly has built up. Now we've got confirmed stuff from um, the Oklahoma beat writer for 247. You've got Evan Flood of Wisconsin's 247 page. He does a great job. Uh, also, um, talking about it so it it seems like there's something there um i i don't want to i don't i don't think it's the, a likely 
scenario that he ends up at Wisconsin. I still think the the betting favorite is that he goes to USC, rejoins Lincoln Riley, especially after Jackson Dart transferred out of USC uh, pretty quickly there, and a bunch of Caleb Williams' teammates have gone to, to USC as well. Um, but I think this is um, something to continue to watch. One of the bigger things, and I honestly think the biggest part of this was that Wisconsin in this report is also going looking to bring in an offensive coordinator. Um, and that was something that supposedly Caleb Williams Camp talked about. Um, that would be big news, right? Like I see that as the bigger news because we've been saying the Badgers need some fresh set of eyes, some uh, some new stuff going on in that room. Um, and they've got a lot of money to play with considering that Joe Rudolph was there. Um, and it's one inter- a couple interesting names that would make sense and maybe – add a little bit more fire to the Caleb Williams to Wisconsin um, path would be Daryl Bevel. Um, I I don't see him leaving the NFL after being an offensive coordinator there and really being a head coaching candidate for Mm -hmm. um, multiple times as well. I just don't see him coming back. But the guy I would watch and that would would make it so that I think Caleb Williams might consider it and has experience with Paul Christ is Bobby Ingram. So Dean Ingram's dad – um, is is the tight ends coach for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Caleb Williams played on the same high school team as Bobby Sundin, um, and uh, Bobby Ingram has been in that uh, DMV area with the Ravens for the past nine years. Um, also was an assistant coach under Paul Christ as, um, as a wide receivers coach when Christ was his first go as a head coach at Pitt before he went to the Ravens. So I think that's the guy that if they brought him on as an offensive coordinator, a chance to be associate head coach, offensive coordinator, all that, um, that could lead to maybe a little bit more intrigue because Caleb Williams is from um, that same high school as Dean Ingram, and they have that relationship. So that's a name to watch. If he comes, that might make it so that there's a little bit more to this. I still think he's USC bound, but I, I just think it's a fascinating situation that the Badgers are in this at all. And I think you have to shoot your shot because he is an upgrade for everybody but Ohio State and Alabama, basically a quarterback. Oh, yeah. He's one of the top players out there in the country. So anytime, like I said, if he's got interest in Wisconsin, Wisconsin has to take their shot uh, and interesting like that. So it's it's certainly a fascinating story. I mean, it's great that Wisconsin's even in the mix for a player like that. You know, you don't know. Wisconsin, compared to other teams in the transfer portal, I won't say has been reserved, but, you know, some teams are, are completely filling out their roster. You know, look at a team like Michigan State last year, completely filling out their rosters from guys in the transfer portal. Wisconsin has not been as active, but to be in the conversation for a player like him is, is certainly an interesting one. And, and maybe this is just uh, kind of rumors and speculation. And like you mentioned, he ends up back at USC with Lincoln Riley, but it's it's definitely a story to keep paying attention to. And I'm sure – that offensive coordinator portion of it is a huge part of it. You know, he wants to be going into a system that he feels comfortable that will succeed. And, and so Wisconsin, if they're going to go out and make that hire, I'm sure they want to make sure to, to nail it, not only for that sake, but just to kind of revitalize it and get some juice back in what's been an offense that's kind of struggled the last couple of years and then felt a little stale for the last two seasons. So I agree with you. I think that's probably the bigger part of this story, but both kind of going hand in hand will we'll certainly make it interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, and no matter what happens, whichever direction Paul Chris goes for offensive coordinator, which I do think they're going to bring somebody in, at least the quarterback's coach, 
um, NFL season is just winding down for a bunch of possible candidates, right? Like mm-hmm. Bobby Ingram with, with the Ravens, they're not going to be – he's going to be available now potentially, um, or at least they could hire him away. Um, he's had a really good run there. But then you also look at um, just this past weekend, you've got Scott Tolzien is now going to possibly be available now that the season's over with uh, the Cowboys. Um, you, you've got a lot of moving pieces, and I think now is where you're going to possibly see uh, hires start happening here in the next couple weeks is what I, I would imagine the coaching convention just happened too. So I, I think there's going to be momentum on the coaching side, which will then lead to possibly um, more additions in the transfer portal, et cetera. But I do think if Ingram came on, you would see um, – the the, go, the Badgers go ahead and put Mickey Turner as their recruiting coordinator just because he's had player development role in the past under Chris. And I don't think it would be a big pay cut for him. They could make that work. Yeah, yeah, and he'd certainly be great at that position. If you ever talk to Mickey Turner, he can certainly see how he'd be good on the recruiting front as well. So all these moving pieces will certainly be stuff that we'll keep an eye on and, and touch on anytime we get any new developments right there. But that'll be the big storyline for this offseason until it gets done. All right, that's all we've got for news. So why don't we go ahead? We'll get our ad reads out of the way here, and then we'll get into our 2021 Wisconsin Football Award Show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, the season has come and gone. So now we'll kind of wrap it up. We'll go ahead and dive into our awards for the 2021 football season. Uh, of course, it was an up and down year for the Badgers. Started out a little slow, kind of finished and had uh, their middle portion much stronger, and then unfortunately had a, a tough ending before the, uh, of course, uh, positive note in the bowl game. So it really roller coaster of a season, but it's still good to kind of revisit all of that. And we'll go ahead and start. I know usually you saw a lot of these awards as you end with MVPs, but I think the MVP conversation is probably a little bit more obvious, so we'll go ahead and maybe just do those first. And we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. I think maybe we'll talk about who could be your honorable mention, but in terms of offensive MVP, I think you've got to point right to Braylon Allen. So he's got my vote in terms of you know just how dominant he was and, and really how much he revitalized this team. Um, you know, just a, a dominating season coming in off season. We've talked about it so many times. He's he was a guy we didn't know where he was at in terms of position, where he was going to be to end up being you know one of the the best freshmen in the country. So, offensive MVP for me is Braylon Allen. Do you say any differently? I, I don't know how you could say anybody <laughs> differently. I mean, I think if Braylon Allen doesn't emerge, you could probably make a pretty good argument for Ches Malusi. Um, but if, if 
if, like you said, if we're going to do an honorable mention, I think uh, in the passing game, I guess Jake Ferguson, because he did a lot of the dirty work and blocking as well. Um, but I, I just, because of the ineptitude of the passing game, I think it's got to be Braylon Allen. Um, dude averaged 133 yards in nine games. Um, and I know he played in those three other games, but he didn't get many carries. It was a really impressive um, initial season for him. Yeah, he was he was phenomenal, and then of course gives you a, a huge spark heading into these next couple of years with him being back, and and certainly will be fun to watch. You know, just he's a guy that's just getting started, but he really brought a lot to this Wisconsin offense, and and they would not have been in, in any of the positions that they're that they've been in with without him. And, you know, Ches Malusi was a great option as at the running back position, but he wasn't yeah anywhere what to to what Braylon Allen was. They were a great combo that way when before Malusi got banged up, but this team. Really, the the season changed and, and really started to you know go in a different direction with uh, with Braylon Allen carrying the rock and and you know, like you mentioned 133 yards just dominating on the ground. Without him, I don't know where this offense would have finished out uh, throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I think they lose probably two more games possibly if they don't have Braylon Allen. Like, yeah, like <laughs> he he carried that offense for most of the year um, after especially after Malusi went down I mean he was their offense and that's it's a big reason why they're having changes on the offense because um, you can't just put it on the shoulders of one guy and I know the offensive line did some decent things in the run game but but man he, he his yards after carry were just atrocious and he did so many good things for this team that kind of gave them in everything they needed and was the definition of the most valuable player on the offense. Absolutely. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and transition us over to defensive MVP, which probably very uh, similar in terms of easiness in that regard. Uh, maybe there's more names you could mention as an honorable mention or, or get worked in there, but it, it seems to me, and I'm guessing you're in the same boat, that the Leo Chanel was likely the defensive MVP. He was a guy that just really came out and, and played with his hair on fire all season long. Didn't actually play in as many games as a lot of these other defensive players, but was still just so dominant when he was out there. Seemed to have had his nose in every single play. So, once again, he's got my vote as the defensive MVP. Do you say anything differently? I think it has to be him. He was the best player on the field for the Badgers defensively. Um, and, and Jack Stanborn had a tremendous year as well. I think he deserves a ton of credit, especially because he was making a lot of those calls. He was your, your leader. He had a tremendous tremendous year as well, but I think it, it starts and ends with Chanel, and if you want to argue Sanborn, I, I wouldn't say no, but I, I think you're going to have a hard time over overcoming the, the exactly what Chanel did, averaging over uh, 10 tackles a game, 8 sacks, nearly 20 tackles for loss. Um, he just had a tremendous season, and, you know, he he came out and, and did what we thought he could do, mm-hmm. but it was it surpassed even um, anybody's expectations, I think. Yeah, and I think if, if you looked at Jack Sanborn, you could say, okay, you know, it could be a situation where teams were game planning, especially early in the season, to, to not let Jack Sanborn wreck their game plan, and in turn that maybe took some attention away from a guy like Leo Chanel, and all of a sudden he was able to really blossom and come on as on his own. So it was a great inside linebacker tandem. You can certainly make an argument for either one, but I think Leo Chanel is, is, is the guy that was really the, the defensive MVP for this team because without him, who knows where this group would have been at. I think he still would have been in an okay shape, but he really was the, the difference maker in, in, a lot of t- in a lot of ways for this defensive unit. All right, up next, we, we knocked out those two MVPs pretty quick. This one maybe will 
little bit more of a debate, but we'll go special teams MVP. I know special teams kind of had a rocky year at times this season, um, but there were some things that were improved. So who do you have as your special teams MVP? It's Andy Vujinovic. Um, for me, I just think he had 15 50-yarders. Um, he had he had uh, 16 inside the 20, and he averaged 40, nearly 46 and a half yards per punt, which is really really good. Right now, he is um, of, of players that have punted the ball more than once. He has the highest average of any punter in Wisconsin's history, ahead of Kevin Stemke, who we we both know, tremendous punter, um, won many awards, um, and Brad Nortman, Ken DeVosh, right, like good punters in Wisconsin's history, he is at the top in terms of average. Smaller sample size at only 83 right now, but at the same time, um, he is he is putting together a really good career for the Badgers and was a huge transfer get for them um, two years ago. So 46.5 average, you never had to worry about him dropping the punt. Um, he booted the hell out of the ball. I think it's Andy Vujinovic for me. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, you talk about in a, in a situation where this offense struggled at times, and, and there was a lot of times where they needed to flip the field. They needed to flip that field position and, and give them opportunities to do so, and Andy Vujinovic came through, and, and it really has been great since his time that he, he stepped on campus, and, and that's it's it's such a huge part of the game, especially when you're when you're playing that defensive style of football when your offense is kind of struggling to be able to do that and rely on a guy to to put that field position game into work is is certainly something. So I think it, it's definitely got to be him. I do think Colin Marsh had a much better year and, and started out really strong. I, I think if he would have finished the way that you it, you the way that he started, he could be more in the conversation, but kind of tapered off and, and missed some kicks later in the year. So. It was he was a certainly a guy that was honorable mention that way and there's there's probably um, you know a case that you could make but I think Andy Vujinovic just the impact that he had in the entire game in terms of field position in terms of helping this defense put the opposing offense in in tough situations he has to be uh, the guy in that special teams room to, to to bring home that MVP and he's you know I know it's just it's just punting but that's a huge part of the game and and he's been great at it since he stepped on campus. Yeah, also, I mean, if you're going to just one singular play, that, that uh, Stefan Bracey kickoff return mm-hmm. was probably the special teams play of the year um, and and bears recognition in this situation as well just because who knows what he would have been able to, to do if he was healthy from the get-go and was able to help them out um, in kickoff return early on in the season. I know that Devin Chandler had that role before he transferred, but it would have been interesting to see what Bracey could have done with a, a, a larger um, – load there only six returns on the year all right up next we'll have our most improved award which is always a fun one because i think there are a couple names that you could mention in that conversation guys that had really had strong years and and, and played really well that you know coming off last year that we were expecting to have some more of so what do you think of as your who do you think of as your most improved player of the 2021 season so I think there's a, a couple different guys uh, that could easily get this award, uh, especially, I mean, you look on that defense, there was so many different players mm-hmm. who took nice jumps and took their game to the next level. I'm going to go with Isaiah Mullins, though. Um, I, I think that he was a guy that, 
you coming into the year, you knew what you had in Matt Hankson and Keanu Benton. You, you knew that those two guys were going to be really good. You thought you had something really special in Nick Herbig. You knew your inside linebacker was really good. Noah Burke's consist, consistent, steady, any guy. But on the defensive line, that that opposite spot, you, you wondered, okay, what is Mullins going to be able to do? I thought he had a really good year. He was stout against the run. Um, he moved really well for a guy his size, took advantage of last year, some playing time. Um, and, and this year, 24 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, a um, couple hurries, uh, knocked down a path in 13 games. He was there all year long. And I think he's going to be one of your anchors on the defensive line next year. And I, I think that he deserves a ton of credit for continuing to stick to it, develop in the program. Um, and you saw him take advantage of more opportunities last year and, and kind of show out as a guy that not only is someone that helped you out last year, but is going to be a focal point next year alongside of Keanu Benton. Yeah, I, I think he's a, certainly a name. Those his Himself and Matt Henningsen were the two that I was looking at, and I ended up going with Matt Henningsen just because I, I think – Similar, you knew what you had from him, but I also think he developed into a much better player, and all of a sudden it, was, it wasn't it was a, oh, what do we have from the defensive end? I think both guys all of a sudden emerged as players that were really, really good. And you're like, oh, it's not just Keanu Benton and two other guys. It's Keanu Benton and Matt Hedingston and Isaiah Mullins, and they all three had really good years collectively. So I think both of those names could be thrown in the conversation as, as all of a sudden being most improved because I think Matt Hedingston was maybe – better than a lot of us thought throughout the course of his career. I know you and I mentioned that he's really been an underrated player, but I think he did elevate his game in a lot of different ways that way and, and get, got to be a, a force for this defense that they had to focus on, along with Jack Sanborn, Leo Chanel, Keanu Benton, guys up front, all of a sudden Matt Henningsen and, and, and Isaiah Mullins kind of similarly in that same conversation became forces that you had to pay attention to and game plan for, so... I think of the, the names across the defense, both of those two jumped out to me, but I think it's it's kind of splitting hairs between the two, and, and I went with Matt Henningsen, but either one could be certainly in that conversation. Yeah, and another guy that I think also made a, a big leap that I think really helped the team out was Josh Seltzner um, at, at left guard. Mm-hmm. You, you saw even in the early season – when things were kind of falling apart with Tyler Beach over there at left tackle, he was kind of a, a consistent guy for this. He ended up getting first-team recognition um, in the Big Ten, just played really well. And I thought he came in as a guy that you thought maybe might lose his spot because he had been in and out of the lineup so many different times the past two years. But then you saw him this year anchor that spot, hold it down, and become Wisconsin, one of Wisconsin's top linemen. Yeah, I think that's a great name to mention for sure. I think he played really well. And the other one I would say, um, even a little bit, was Noah Burks. You know, he was a guy that we were, I don't want to say critical of early in the season and in this offseason, but you wanted to see more from him. Um, and with him being in that starting, you know, one of the starting linebacker roles, I think he had a really good year and improved some doubters wrong who were thinking maybe, you know, we could move on to one of the younger guys, could a, a guy surpass him. He, he proved that he should be on the field consistently with his defense. All right, up next, we've got uh, the Rookie of the Year, not named Braylon Allen. I think if you had the you unanimous vote, Rookie of the Year is certainly Braylon Allen, and, and by a wide margin. If he's your offensive MVP, he's kind of got to be. So, yes, if, if you're putting that just award on its own, Braylon Allen, congrats, you want another one. But we wanted to and work some of the other guys in this conversation. So who do you have as the guy that, as your Rookie of the Year, not named Braylon Allen, with a little asterisk at the end? <laughs> yeah, uh, I I think there's 
I mean, obviously, this is Braylon Allen's award. Might as well just name it after him. But um, I, I think if you have to go beyond him, um, there's a couple different guys that I would consider. I, I think for me, I would probably give it to Jack Nelson, um, a guy redshirted last year, um, was in the 2D ball last year the whole time. Then you saw him jump in there and um, end up at right guard, started right away. It wasn't always perfect for him, um, especially when early on when they were rotating bodies, which I still don't get. Um, but you saw that as the season progressed, he really grew and, and got better. He's a guy that I think would be my newcomer of the year, and he gives you a nice um, piece to build around on that offensive line. Really, him and Tipman inside are, are guys that you can build out your offensive line from because they, I thought they had a decent year as the season wore on and uh, gave you a glimpse of the future at the position. Yeah, I think when you look at it, you know, not a ton of you know young guys got a whole lot of run. You know, when you look at it in terms of the other those two, uh, so I think Jack Nelson is certainly the guy that you look at in VA, the guy that came in and, and started. Gave you a lot, like you mentioned. There were some ups and downs for him. There's still some growing pains for him, especially early on when that kind of hockey style rotation was going on. I think that affected him and it made it hard for him to settle in. But once he did settle in, he was a very steady piece on the right side of that line. And, and you go into next year feeling really good about him being uh, a guy that you could rely on and run behind. And he's also just got that that nastiness that you want up front, and that's only going to get better with more confidence. So. I have to agree with you. I think he's uh, the guy that's certainly in that conversation. If you're if you're looking for someone besides Braylon Allen, I think Jack Nelson's the guy that you got to point to. Yeah, and if and if we have to narrow it down to true freshmen, I think it would be Hunter Wooler. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think another guy who we're going to talk about more at the end of the episode um, when we about to jump into the safety portion. But but I think he's a guy that um, also deserves uh, some recognition here. All right, up next, we've got Comeback Player of the Year. This one should be a, a fun one to talk about as well. There's a couple different candidates I think you could narrow it down to. So who did you have as your Comeback Player of the Year for the 2021 season? I'm going to stick on the offensive line. I'm going to go with Tittman. Um, I, th- I think you could you could look at a guy like Scott Nelson, who came back from an injury, um, as well as uh, the wide receivers, Kendrick Pryor and Danny Davis. <laughs> I just have a hard time giving it to him. One of them just based off of how bad the passing game was. So, and and that's not only to their fault, but but I think that it's, it's Tipman missed all of last year, really missed his freshman year as well with injury. Came back, redshirt sophomore, earned a spot, beat out a guy who had been a multi-year starter on both sides of the ball, Caden Lyles. Uh, but I thought that he was someone that really flashed as as uh, that middle guy at center. He's really smart. He's he's big for that position, but at the same time, I think that he was another guy similar to Jack Nelson that really came on as the season continued to develop, and I think that he would be my comeback player. The linemen are getting recognition. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, you look at, you know, I, I had Danny Davis written down as well. I had Kendrick Pryor in there, but as you mentioned, the, the numbers weren't necessarily there, and when you look at how dominating this run game got to be in the middle of the season, it was because of guys like Joe Tipman and Jack Nelson, so for him to come back and, and be a strong presence there was was really important, and I think that almost gives you the nod over some of those other guys because the, the passing game just kind of struggled. I did have Scott Nelson written down as well, uh, but you kind of knew that he was going to come back and, and be a really solid player for the Badgers, and, and we've seen that from him before. So I think in terms of spreading out the wealth a little bit, uh, a guy like Joe Tippendurst definitely deserves 
some recognition for for what he did on the field because he was a huge part of the success of this offense. Without him, who knows where this offense gets to be. As you mentioned, he beat out Caden Lyles, which was a really kind of a surprise for us early in the season. You, you thought that going into you know fall camp, that Caden Lyles was an established starter, and Joe Tippman you know, beat that out pretty quickly. I mean, it wasn't even – it was a competition, but you know, early in fall ball, he was guys that were, was getting runs with the ones, and you saw why um, as he worked his way into as to becoming a full time starter. So I think he's certainly um, a great candidate for comeback player of the year, and, and really gave Wisconsin a lot this season. Yep, and sim- similarly went through growing pains, like mm-hmm. like any this entire line did. Um, they really struggled early on in the year, but. They settled in um, in that middle part of the schedule. And another guy, Matt Henningsen, who I know you had mentioned already for one of the awards, but missed a good chunk of last year, came back um, and, and really kind of regained form that, that he had in twenty eight or 2019 when he seemed to be scoring a touchdown every other game. All right, up next, we've been talking linemen the last couple, and we'll continue the trend here. We'll do linemen of the year. Uh, again, uh, it's been a, it was a good line once they kind of got settled in. So there's probably a couple names you could throw out there. But who do you have as your lineman of the year for this season? Uh, I'm going to go with Seltzner. Um, I just think that the tackles were kind of let this team down in a lot of ways. So um, I'm going to go with Seltzner. I thought that he um, ended up being a, a formidable guy that really helped them out and was gave them some experience there. Ended up being one of the guys that was consistently out there um, throughout the season. I know that they, they were rotating early, um, but but I'm, I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I, I think you have to go with uh, with a guy like him. He really stepped up as being a guy that we talked about in in this offseason as, as a guy that could get beat out, could be a player that, you know, gets some run for Wisconsin, could be a guy that you all of a sudden – you somebody else gets in there and works their way in and he why or he quickly proved um, that he was a guy that was going to be in that rotation and, and not just be a fringe guy an established starter that had a great year I mean he got postseason recognition awards for a reason um, and, and he was a huge part to their success which was really nice to see for a, a guy like him who had had worked through a lot and, and had some growing pains over the course of his career um, to see him kind of establish himself and, and play really well um, was great. So I have to agree with you. I think lineman of the year certainly is deserving to go to a guy like Josh Seltzner. On the opposite side for the defensive line of the year, I'm going to go with Keanu Benton, though. Um, mm-hmm. I just think, like, if we offensively, I think it would go to Seltzner, but defensively, I think Keanu Benton, if you're looking across any line, is was the guy that I thought had the best year. Um, stats won't necessarily bear it out as somebody who is dominant, but there's a reason Wisconsin was so good against the run, and it starts with him. I, I know the middle linebackers get a ton of credit, um, but Keanu Benton, uh, 25 tackles from your nose tackle position is really good. Mm-hmm. Five tackles lost, two and a half sacks, right? Like he knocked down four different pass or uh, two different passes. Like he was somebody who was involved a lot, forced a couple fumbles. So I would go with Keanu Benton if it's just we're looking at both lines. It, it's him for me. Yeah. Oh, totally agree. I, I think those were you know certainly he was a, a dominating player, dominating force, and it's huge that Wisconsin will have him back for next year because I think he's a guy that could certainly work into the the defensive MVP conversation next year, the player of the year type of thing. He's, he was so good this past year. And I know the numbers don't always bear that out, but you talk about the, the number of tackles that he got from that no tackle position um, were certainly um, indicative of, of how good he's been. All right, up next we've got game of the year. I think there's a couple different candidates for this one, so I'm excited to see where you go with this one. But what do you have as your game of the year? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to pick anything from the first four, but um, 
But I would say the Nebraska game, and I know that it wasn't a game that was great all around for Wisconsin, but I think when you look at it, you had um, big plays in it. You had um, you had the showing out by Braylon Allen. You had Mertz looking competent with with 12 of 18 for 145. Um, and, and just it was it was an effort that the defense didn't do it, but the offense came to life a little bit. Um, and and you saw Stefan Bracy have that huge kickoff return um, for a touchdown. It, it, it had a little bit of everything, and it was close throughout. And I, I so for me, I'm going to go with that one. Um, just a very back and forth game that Wisconsin played well um, a, offensively and and gave you some hope there. Defensively wasn't always great, but but I just thought some of the big plays that happened in that game and the back and forth nature of it um, made me think of that one. Yeah, I think that's certainly a great candidate. I mean, in terms of sheer excitement, that game was was up there, like you mentioned, back and forth throughout the entire course of the game, whatever Wisconsin or Nebraska would answer, and it was just a, certainly a nerve-wracking, if you had the nervousness game of the year. That one's certainly up there. I think for me, though, I, I went with uh, you know the, the game that I felt like Wisconsin was just really dominant win, and, and that was the Iowa win. And, and that was, I think, in such a crucial point of the season, you know, your, your needing to build on that Purdue win, you thought, you know, how would they come out after that? And Wisconsin came out, and, and really, when I think to that game, just the, the way they played defensively was just suffocating. And I know Iowa's offense isn't anything to, to write home about, but they just completely dominated that game. And, and offensively, Braylon Allen really emerged and, and continued his emergence as a, a player you could rely on offensively. So depending on how you approach it in terms of just you know, excitement or sheer dominance. I think both of those games are, are ones that could be in the conversation. But I think that Iowa win was just one that, that really stood out to me in, in, a, in a season that, again, was up and down. It was such a nice feeling to see them just completely dismantle a rival who at the time was you know, a top-ranked team and, and really flying high. And, and Wisconsin kind of put a damper on their season pretty quick. All right, up next we've got a player we were hoping – to have more from. So a guy that maybe had a little bit of a disappointing year, expecting more from on their front. So this one, uh, I, I think I, I know which way you're going to go, but uh, what uh, who do you have for your player you're hoping for more from? Well, where were you going to go? I was going to go to, see, similar to what we said earlier, I was going to go with uh, like a Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor in the wide receiver room, but I also – I feel that's not necessarily all their fault, that the numbers were kind of down there that way. So you could almost argue it could be Graham Mertz as well, um, just depending on how you're feeling of him that way. So I, I would say if you could just point it to the passing game as a whole and just say, hey, we needed more from the entire collective group of you, that would be a good way to go. But uh, I was probably going to side with um, Danny Davis in that regard because he was such a dynamic player early in his career. You expected you'd get more from him, and, and maybe that's just to the fault of the passing game being a little bit of inept, but um, I, I thought you could certainly have gotten more from a player like him. Yeah, I think it's just the passing game in general. Uh, I, I think we make the rules. It's our podcast, right? So let's <laughs> let's go with, let's go with uh, it go. was just the passing game. Like, Graham Mertz did not play to the level that you hoped for. The wide receiver room did not play to the level that you'd hope for. The Offensive line, especially early on, did not play to the um, you know standards that you would hope for in those first four games. So I would just look at that. I the one group that involved in the passing game that I do not think deserves any um, you know 
any of the blame is tight end room. I don't think Jake Ferguson deserved um, much of the blame. Um, I don't think like a guy like John Chanel doesn't deserve any of the blame. Um, but but I just think that offensively there was bits and pieces that fell apart at the line level, the quarterback level, and the wide receiver level far too often that led to them being one of, if not the worst, passing offense in the country that wasn't um, a, a service academy. So looking at that, and I think that it, it, it makes sense that it's going to be that group and, you know, pick your flavor of whoever you'd want to put the blame on. But I think that it's a, a complete concoction there by all of them. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. And like you mentioned, it is our podcast. So we'll just say the, the passing game as a whole minus the tight end room because I think those guys um, – you know, Jake Ferguson and some of that group battled through injuries and, and did, what, did what they could to be out there, but the rest of the passing game could certainly um, improve. And, you know, with the offensive coordinator talk that we had earlier in the episode, I, I think that's clearly on the agenda for Wisconsin football. All right, up next we've got our redshirt freshman of the year. So a guy redshirted but still give us um, the most hope for the future. So this one should be an interesting one. Where would you go in your redshirt freshman of the year? Yeah, so you've got a bunch of guys who actually exceeded that threshold level, also like Hunter Waller or Jake Cheney. But I think if we're looking just at guys who maintain the redshirt, I think it has to be Marcus Allen. He had um, some good plays, specifically in that Rutgers game, as well as in the bowl game, uh, had that big, long reception. Um, I I think he's a guy that you have to hope is one of your future um, top wide receivers. He looks the part. He's got the size for it. Um, I know that Elvis Witted likes bigger wide receivers, so I would go with um, him as somebody who flashed three receptions, 65 yards. He averaged 21, over 21 yards of reception. So small sample size, only played in three games, but I do think that he's a guy that I think the future is bright for, and that gives you some hope at that wide receiver room. Yeah, I, I think in terms of top candidates, he's certainly the guy that you've got to look to to go all of a sudden. You know, you, you, we talked about the wide receiver room this past year, kind of a down year. Going into next year, you're not going to have some of those guys. You're wondering who's going to be the guy that stepped up. And when you saw from Marcus Allen in small glimpses, all of a sudden you said, oh, okay, he's a guy that's going to be in that equation next year and could certainly emerge as one of your top guys. I think you're going into it with Jimmy DK being the guy that you're going to lie on. But all of a sudden, I think you feel like you've got a little bit more beyond him, and, and that's the situation where um, he could certainly be a, a guy that uh, really blossoms into more this upcoming year. All right, up next we've got our uh, play of the year. So this one should be a fun one. I'm sure the, the guy that uh, is part of the play is, is Braylon Allen possibly, but uh, there's a couple different, I guess, plays that you look back to. So what was your play of the year for the 2021 season? I'm going to go with that big, long run by Isaac Garendo against Eastern Michigan. I thought just the moment was super cool just because it was dark out. You had the fireflies going on during it, and dude just unleashed and went for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's in a, For a season that really was a letdown for him personally based off of the injury status that he had against Michigan, that play really stood out, and it was such a cool moment. You just saw him just explode. Um, I I think any of the long runs by Braylon Allen, you could easily um, put there as well, but but for me, I'm going to go with uh, that Isaac Arendo run, just because I thought when it happened at that time, it was such a cool um, thing, because you didn't expect it to happen, and all of a sudden, he was just flying down the sidelines um, while everybody was still singing that song. 
Yeah, that was a very cool moment for sure. That's a great one that kind of I had kind of forgotten about, but certainly a play that, like you mentioned, at the moment was a, a huge one for the Badgers and, and kind of changed things around after it was a tough, tough opener in that Penn State game. For me, there's there's so many Braylon Allen runs you could probably go to. I really thought back to the one against Nebraska, and you know, Wisconsin scored on that opening kickoff, and then Nebraska came down and scored right away, and all of a sudden you felt the tightness of that game kind of start up, and then Braylon Allen busted off a, a huge long run where you know he, he kind of got plugged up at the line of scrimmage, knocked off a couple few two guys, and then busted it for like 65 yards just to score and, and put them right back up. So I think when you talk about that game and in, in, in the game of the year conversation back and forth, he was a huge part of that because he just seemed to be getting loose uh, every couple plays, similar to what we've seen with Wisconsin and Melvin Gordon against Nebraska where – it was it was he got the ball and, and he was gone and I think that play was one that I really think back to and, and just um, shifted momentum in such a big way after it shifted back and forth and, and it would shift back and forth through the rest of that game but I think Braylon Allen really gave you a lot and, and there's probably a couple different runs that you could talk about as as a play of the year uh, for him and and for the team. Yeah, I mean him running through Northwestern and then mm-hmm. after the game quoting that they didn't want to tackle him was pretty flipping awesome <laughs> just because you could actually see it. Like mm-hmm. their will was broken um, because he broke so many tackles. But um, I, I I think that, that uh, Nebraska play was also one that jumps out to me. All right. So round out the awards. We'll go to a coach's award now. We'll do assistant coach of the year. And, and there were some really good position groups I think you could point to for assistant coaches. So, who do you think is your assistant coach of the year for the 2021 season? Well, I think overarchingly, it's got to be Jim Leonard. Um, just the defense played at an unworldly level. Um, but but just to, to kind of call out one of the you know position coaches, I'm going to go with Ross Kalaji on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. I thought um, you saw them make that change, and it was a very deliberate change, bringing him in um, from the strength room to take over the defensive line. Jim Leonard – had mentioned that they didn't have the guys last year that they thought that they could rotate and, and keep guys fresh, both in the linebacker room and at defensive line. You saw Henningsen get back, which I did think played a big role as to why the offense or defensive line played better. But then you look at the development of guys behind him, them, Rodas Johnson, Bryson Williams, you saw him. He could have been a comeback player of the year guy as well. He played well. Um, James Thompson Jr., redshirt freshman, who really played some good football as well and gave him some spots, um, spot minutes. I think that that group really changed the complexion of the defense because there was times last year in the, the shortened 2020 season where teams were able to run on the Badgers. This year, I mean, it's the most dominant run defense in, in the entire country. So I think that – Ross Kalaji, that group. Bob Bostead, you can make a good argument for too, but I'm going to go with Kalaji just because I thought the way that they made us that dramatic shift along the defensive line to go from um, last year kind of a liability for that group to boom, one of the strengths of the entire defense um, was, was a big reason for why the defense was so good. Yeah, I think that's a great name to throw out. I mean, you, you talked about you know where he came from previously and in his past position to all of a sudden being a position coach, you wondered at such a position that Wisconsin has sometimes has traditionally struggled with. So for him to come in and I think really elevate the entirety of this group was huge uh, for him, for him and, and the entire Wisconsin defense. So I like that pick a lot. For me, you could certainly make an argument for Bob Bostead as well. Um, when you look at the inside linebackers, how good they were, um, you know, it's, it's hard to not have him in the conversation because he was uh, the two best players in the defense 
were in his room. But I also think you have to talk about Bobby April as a guy that the outside linebackers, I think, really emerged and played well. And you talk about a guy like Noah Burks, Nick Herbig, but also, you know, Bobby April being part of that defensive run game coordinator and being part of that run game that or that run defense that was so dominant. Uh, I think he deserves to, to have some recognition as well. So I'd, I'd go with him or you could really make an argument for Bostad. And I really like the Kalaji pick as well. So you could almost split that award for all three because the defensive levels were uh, really dominating. And the run game is, you know, a, a culmination. The run defense is a culmination of all three of those having really solid rooms and solid players that were clearly taking their coaching and, and really putting it to the test uh, on the football field. I agree with you. I think all three of those are great candidates. I, I still think that if we had to pick one, it's kind of Jim Leonard, um, just because he is the guy dialing it all up. But um, it was definitely a great defense and a really fun defense. And I'm, I think, you know, going into our next conversation, which we talk about safeties here, I think it's, it's fun to think about um, what is to be based off of, what we saw this past year and, and the changes that are going to have to happen. All right. Speaking of that, as we work out of our awards and into our depth chart talk, we'll introduce our newest segment. So throughout the course of the next few episodes um, down the road, we'll kind of get into the depth chart, revisit this past year, talk about what we see for the upcoming rooms. And we'll kind of split them up so we can talk a little football and, and talk about each room uh, a little bit throughout the course of the podcast. So there might be some games where we've got a basketball game to recap, and then we'll hop into a couple different positions in terms of the depth chart revisit and looking forward to the future. So today we'll start with the safety room as we kind of introduce this new segment that we'll be working into. The safety room was certainly talk about uh, a group that I think played fairly well. I mean, this defense as a whole played really well. They had some struggle spots um, where they got beat on some coverages, but but Scott Nelson, Kyle, Colin Wilder collectively – had a really good year, and then you talk about a guy like John Torchio really worked up and was a great rotation piece for them. So just to, to start at looking back at this past year, what did you make of the safety room in general? Yeah, I thought I thought they had, you know, consistency where they were good most of the year, but then there was bits and pieces of small plays that they got burnt on where they, they were very aggressive. This was an aggressive group, which, you know, Jim Leonard's aggressive uh, player when he played. Um, but Scott Nelson, uh, as well as Colin Wilder, I thought that they had, you know, huge moments where they played, made some huge plays for this team, helped them out majorly. Um, but then they also, there was also times where there was miscommunications and they got beat over the top, right? Like I'm thinking right away in that Penn State game, there was times against Nebraska, Minnesota, they had got um, caught looking in the backfield a couple times on those zone replays. So I think this was a group that overall played really well. Um, and, and I think that Wisconsin set up nicely for the future. I mean, you look at a guy like John Torchio, um, who, yes, he played in all 13 games. He rotated in a ton. But he ended up with, with more tackles than Colin Wilder. Part of that was because he played in two more games. But he was still um, sixth on the team in tackles um, for this team, which I think is a testament to how good of a player he is. I mean, tied him with a team lead in three interceptions. Colin Wilder also tied with three. They, when you looked for turnovers, the safeties were involved quite a bit. So I think overall good group. And I think that, uh, this past season, you saw Colin Wilder and Scott Nelson kind of take on more leadership roles, which was nice to see. And it was just a bummer to see Colin Wilder's career end the way it did with that injury. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think you, you came into this year and you, you looked at Scott Nelson was going to be a guy that you've relied on in the past and, and certainly gave you more. But you looked at the other safety position and you kind of wondered, 
where it was going to go. I mean, Colin Wilder had been a guy the previous year that has been worked in there and, and played a little bit, wasn't really an established starter that gave you a ton earlier on in his short tenure at Wisconsin. So for him to really emerge as a, a really dominating player and then the secondary who brought the juice, I think is the great way to, to put it. You know, he was always in there on the turnovers. You mentioned the leadership role, which I think is huge for this defense. In a short amount of time, he really did a lot for Wisconsin. And it was certainly a bummer to see the way his career ended. But, yeah, I, I think when you look at the group collectively, good for a large portion of the time. And when you talk about this defense, it was really good all season long. There were some plays that stuck out, and I think will maybe make this group, you know, and when people think of it, they say, yeah, well, Wisconsin's defense is really good, but they gave up some big plays in the secondary. But, again, you look at the, the course of this season – was not, um, you know, to the fault of the, of the defense in any sort of way. And, and you're going to have some plays where you're going to get beat on, on some plays. So that's just the, the nature of football when you're playing an aggressive defense like that. So collectively, a really good group. Um, I think both, you know, Nelson and uh, Wilder and, and, like you mentioned, John Torchio all stepped up and, and played really well and um, was a, a great anchor to this defense that was good all season long. Yeah, and I, I think – you know, leading into the next part of our talk, which which we talk about next year, is you saw a lot of younger guys. You saw Travion Blaylock, not necessarily a younger guy, but you another junior. Him and Torchio see the field quite a bit. Um, you also saw Hunter Waller as a true freshman getting in there. So I thought the way that Jim Leonard was able to take his position group, know, hey, I've got two six or a sixth-year senior and a fifth-year senior, and then I've also got three guys that I want to get in there to play so that they can build on for next year. I thought he kind of navigated that really well because mm-hmm. you saw Travion Blaylock and John Torchio and Hunter Waller getting minutes um, and, and playing time in crucial moments. It wasn't, I mean, specifically Blaylock and Torchio, but they got playing time in not just mop-up duty, This this which I think was intentional by Leonard, and I think it sets them up nicely for next year and makes safety a position that you're not quite as worried about when you consider that you're also replacing a bunch of cornerback and inside linebacker, right? At, uh, along the defensive line, you're losing Matt Henningsen. So I, I think safety you feel a little bit better about because of the way that Leonard kind of bridged that a little bit and tried to get some of his guys on the field um, that were a bit younger and that were going to be crucial in 2022. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You look forward, you're, you're not going to have Scott Nelson back. You're not going to have Colin Wilder back. So you didn't want to be going into this spring ball and into next season with guys that were completely new to the position and then new to getting meaningful game snaps. You look at John Torch, a guy that was in there you know, throughout the course of the season. Travion Blaylock, I think, is a guy that is, like you mentioned, not certainly a younger guy, but will be more in the fold again next year. And then, of, of course, Hunter Waller is the guy that I think could be a guy that really, you know, develops this offseason and comes out and, and all of a sudden you've got a three – you know, three safeties that you could run with that you feel good about. And it's going to be a competition. There's only two safety spots, and you can rotate him a little bit in. But it's it's going to be a one that, a position that, yeah, maybe isn't as big of a concern as some of the other ones. When you look at inside linebacker, you've got two huge pieces to replace. You look at cornerback, you've got two starters to replace. And the gap maybe hasn't been bridged there as much as it was in the safety room. So I think you look at it as a whole, you feel a lot better about the safety room than some of those other defensive positions that you have to replace. So – uh, the, the future is certainly bright for a lot of those guys, and I think this past year certainly helped them as they look forward to next year now taking on an even bigger role. Yeah, and I think the competition between those three is mm-hmm. going to be really fun to watch this spring because, like you mentioned, you're going to have two guys on the field most of the time. I do think there's a scenario 
material where Leonard has shown a willingness to do three safeties at times if he feels like that's his best package. It might be so next year, depending upon what Justin Clark brings, um, Dean Ingram, Alexander Smith, how that, that group of three kind of molds and comes together. But I just think Travion Blaylock, his athletic ability – gives you the potential to throw him in the slot a little Mm -hmm. bit um, and let him move because he was a former cornerback, also played some safety, but he's really fast. Like, dude is really fast. One of the the most athletic players on this entire team, um, especially the defense. So I think it's going to be a fun battle, and it's going to be interesting to see who gets reps at free and and strong. I know that Jim Leonard doesn't necessarily use it quite the same way that you might in a traditional 4-3, but – um, when you look at it in the Badgers 3-4 and, um, you know, 2-4-5, I, I think Wisconsin has some flexibility to, to use multiple different scenarios here and situations with these three guys because I do think those are going to be the three guys to watch. Um, you know, nothing against a guy like Preston Zachman or uh, hopefully Titus Torler can come back from injury, um, but I do think that those are um, the three to really watch going into next year. Absolutely. That should be a, a fun competition uh, all off season and spring ball into, of course, upcoming fall season. All right, guys, that wraps up our award and depth chart talk for this episode. So we will uh, hopefully enjoy listening to uh, us talk about these couple awards and, and kind of put a bow and a wrap on this uh, 2021 season. We'll, of course, be back with you later in the week. We'll talk some basketball. We'll have more depth chart positions to talk about as we move forward through the course of this off season. As always, thank you guys for listening on Wisconsin.